So all month, we're going to be preaching at all of our campuses online about meeting Jesus. And we've chosen three stories that I pray particularly will help us to understand fully once someone comes into contact with the presence of God, they are dramatically and miraculously changed. After having read a lot of these stories and processed them and preached them and heard them preached and re-preached, I find myself always in awe of the way that Jesus interacted with people. And I think in a day when there are more legitimate holes to be poked in organized religion, in church structures, in man-made belief systems, we can still hang our hope and our joy on the life and teaching of Jesus. So why don't we share with others more about Jesus? And we talked about this in our sermon just this past Sunday, uh, that in a recent survey, 50% of millennials believe that evangelizing someone is wrong. But of those millennials, 94% still believe that the best thing that can happen to someone is to meet Jesus. Now, there's many reasons why someone may believe that evangelism is wrong. But it is significant that many still believe. And maybe due to personal experience, it is so important that, they, that we meet Jesus. As we talked about last week, kind of the theme was that the heart of God is to help others meet Jesus. And we talked about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Uh, this woman who was unwanted and marginalized and unloved, Jesus came near her. She was familiar with her felt need of needing water. And Jesus introduced her to a more significant spiritual need. Uh, the need for living water, for eternal life in him, in Jesus, the Messiah. She went to the well to fulfill her need. Just like in our lives, we go to any number of wells to fill our need. And God desires still for others to meet Jesus. He's providing life and he's providing abundant life. And so today we're introducing a, a, a new character, a non-believer who was lost but earnestly seeking Jesus. And the idea for this sermon is that God desires to use us to help others meet Jesus. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. If you have a Bible or a device, I recommend pulling it out and getting familiar with the passage, and it's in Acts chapter 8. So the book of Acts is really all about the infancy of the church. It's the beginning of the church, the very beginning. And, and we find a lot of transitionary elements and, and, uh, and ideas for the church in the book of Acts. Things that maybe aren't directly applicable today, but we are to be familiar with the acts of these early believers, uh, the acts of the apostles in, uh, in this book. And so we're introduced to several key people. We're introduced to Saul. Now, you'll remember that Saul was well known for persecuting early Christians. He had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus. His name was changed from Saul to Paul, and then he becomes 
the world's most well-known missionary and church planter and writes 18 books of the New Testament. Then we're introduced to Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the church and his stoning, he was the first martyr, his stoning was overseen by Saul before Saul was Paul. And then we're introduced to Philip, who is the character in Acts chapter 8, all throughout that we are introduced to, and his storyline is here in Acts chapter 8. Philip was one of the, fir- uh, one of the first seven deacons with Stephen. Uh, they served together uh, as deacons. He was a respected teacher. He didn't shy away from challenging ministry. And eventually, he would have the title Philip the Evangelist. Most may define an evangelist as somebody who is uh, converting people or attempts to convert people over to Christianity. When the, the, the direct definition of the word evangelist is really an enthusiastic advocate. Now, we are often enthusiastic advocates on any number of fronts. We're enthusiastic advocates for our family and for our hobbies or for our job, for a cause, and for the church and for Christ. And I think that we need to be reminded and shown that God still uses us to draw people to himself. Often we deny this, right? We, we have a hard time understanding that God desires to use us to draw people to Jesus. And how do we do that? I think there's a, a couple of factors that, that trickle down to that belief that we carry. Uh, maybe the first is just that there's a spiritual component, right? So we do believe that there is spiritual warfare, and that's very real. I think there is a personal component, uh, our internal conflict that we experience. And then I think there's fear, right? So fear of the unknown, uh, fear of rejection and lack of knowledge. Uh, the story we are tr- we're studying today is the story of Philip, right? Philip was an enthusiastic advocate and evangelist for what is the most important cause in the world, a personal encounter, a meeting with Jesus. And Philip followed God. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit in following what God wanted him to do. And so still today, 2,000 years Uh, later, 94% of millennials would say that meeting Jesus is the best thing that can happen to someone. So let's read Acts chapter 8, and we're going to pick it up in verse number 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Although we're not too far into the sermon, I do think it's important for us to, to just camp out right here on this verse for only a second because I want to pause and point out that you'll remember Philip, early in the book, of, uh, early in the chapter of uh, Acts 8, early in this chapter, we have Philip seeing great success in his ministry in the city. Things are happening. There's a lot of energy. Uh, people are coming to faith. In verse 8, it says there was great joy in the city. People were astonished by his miracles. People were coming to faith and felt needs were being met. And the angel says to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road. Think about that for a second. Things are happening. There's 
energy. People are responding. And he now has to go to the desert road. To go south. Just in case you weren't sure where that was, it is on the desert road. Now often, we are on desert roads. And when we are on desert roads, it feels as if God is not present. That God is not with us. That God is not there. Perhaps you've been on a desert road. It's dry. It's barren. Seemingly on the way to nowhere. Now this isn't the main point of the passage. But I do believe that Philip went from great successes to potentially a feeling of, God, what are you doing? Why are you sending me to this unknown area, this desert road? And this story helps us to understand the desert road. Now we go to verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, while he's on the desert road, he's heading uh, on the direction he's supposed to go, and he doesn't even get to the destination, whatever that destination was. But in the sovereignty of God, he meets the Ethiopian, a eunuch from Ethiopia. Now, the first thing I noticed about this passage is that we don't hear the name of the Ethiopian. Uh, So the name is irrelevant, but rather what he does is relevant. He is an Ethiopian, or or, uh, the, the, the makeup of this individual. He's an Ethiopian, which would have been in the region of South Sudan, for which we don't give very much thought at all to the south southern region of Sudan, but in antiquity, it would have been a very powerful and highly developed area. He worked for the queen of the Ethiopians known as the Kandake, or Candace. Some of your versions of the Bible will say Candace. And the Kandake is more like a title. So you have a pharaoh in Egypt and you have a Caesar in Rome. Uh, but in this region of Ethiopia, you have a Candace or a Kandake. And so it was a title. And it was always a woman in part because men considered government and administrative work below them. They considered themselves gods. And so the women did all of the work of the administration and of government. And so they had a Kandake, the queen of the Ethiopians. And this is who this Ethiopian worked for, a very prominent individual in the kingdom. Um, So, and to the Greeks and to the Romans, this area of the world would have been considered the outer edges of the world. So he was both an Ethiopian and he was a eunuch. Um, a powerful eunuch. And the strict definition of a eunuch was a bedkeeper to be in charge of the housing complex for all the women of the palace. As powerful as he was, eunuchs in that culture were still outcast. They were unwanted. They were unloved. They were highly trusted, but on the outside of society. So I love what Isaiah 56 says of eunuchs. Isaiah 56, just in verse 3, says this. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple 
and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Outcast and marginalized from society, God accepted and elevated them. Think of a, in our society, who is sidelined the most? God wants them. And God wants to elevate them to be sons and daughters of his. So continuing on in verse 27, kind of the end, back to Acts chapter 8, at the end of verse 27, this man had gone to Jerusalem. So the Ethiopian had traveled the hundreds of miles, makes his way to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, why would he have gone from southern region of Sudan, hundreds of miles, to Jerusalem. Uh, traveling would have been incredibly challenging and difficult. You would have needed a massive entourage, lots of wealth, a true purpose to go where you were going. But I think in all the study that I've done, what we realize is that he's a Gentile, and he is being converted to believe in the God of Judaism. So he's a proselyte, and he comes to worship in Jerusalem, uh, but leaves like so many people seeking religion. He's coming back empty. He comes to Jerusalem to get something he doesn't have, and he leaves empty. And religion will do that. Religion will leave you empty because it's not meant to satisfy. It might be beautiful, great tr traditions and songs and huge buildings, ornate buildings, but at its heart, Religion does not satisfy. So here's a devout man. I mean, in order for him to be a proselyte at all, he would have had to denounce the gods of his culture, of the Ethiopians. And even after, he garners the blessing of the Candace, receives the funds and the entourage to travel these several hundred miles to Jerusalem. He is still searching. So he's in his chariot, He's heading back home, and he opens this scroll that he acquired, and he starts to read the book of Isaiah. Now, to acquire a scroll would have been a feat in that day. Very expensive. They would have had to have been kept at certain um, humidity levels in order for them not to crumble. Uh, they were very valuable, typically only uh, kept in synagogues and read by rabbis. And so here's this Ethiopian. It shows kind of what... The power of money can do, and he's able to acquire himself a scroll. Now enters the next character in our story, and that is Philip, whom we've already introduced in verse 29. And we see this. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, all through this story, there are three characters. We've already been introduced to uh, the first two, and they're really easy to develop. You have Philip uh, and the Ethiopian. But what about the third character? That third character is the Holy Spirit. He sets this whole thing up. Philip understands the Holy Spirit's work and is responsive when the Holy Spirit prompts him to do something. And when the Spirit moves him to go near the Ethiopian, he does. Now, this draws me to ask the question, when was the last time that you sensed 
the Spirit of God working in your life? When was the last time you were in tune with God so that when he burdened you with the weight of ministry, you were moved to respond in obedience? That can sound heavy, but the reality is that God is a God of joy. And two times in this passage, in Acts 8 early on, and later on in Acts chapter 8, we'll get to it in a minute, you're going to see that it is all about joy. It's about rejoicing in the Lord. And so even though it may sound heavy, the reality is we serve a God that wants us to be filled with joy. Look what Philip does, verse 30. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Two things jump out at me at that passage. Number one, he was eager and enthusiastic to do what God wanted him to do. So he didn't just walk, he didn't just stroll, he ran to it. He ran to the objective that God had in front of him. And two, he was an eager student of the word because as he's hearing Isaiah read, uh, he recognizes it. Verse 30 kind of towards the end, right here. So do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So here's a man desperate for something more, something that hasn't been answered through riches or possessions or position or religion or influence. All of the things that the eunuch would have had access to. He is truly seeking. He is seeking earnestly uh, what can fulfill him. And then uh, he opens the scroll. Now, opening a scroll is not like reading a Bible, right? So we have a Bible or we have a device in front of us. It's very easy. You, you, You pick up the book You know where the chapter is, and you can identify a verse. But a scroll would have been very different in that a scroll would not have been bound with leather or paper or on a device. It would have just been one long piece of paper with it all written out uh, as a document and painstakingly copied, uh, very expensive to acquire. And you would start at the beginning. And you would read toward, and you'd read along, and as you stopped, you would stop the scroll right there. And when you're ready to read again, you open the scroll, and you just kind of move the scroll so that you could keep reading Isaiah. So he's reading through the book of Isaiah. No doubt probably began at the beginning rather than in the middle. And he gets to this section where we're seeing again this third character, the Holy Spirit, leading uh, both the Ethiopian to read this text and Philip to come by the chariot at the exact moment that that eunuch is reading this passage, and here it is in verse 32. Now, verse 32 of Acts 8 is actually a quotation from Isaiah 53, and it says this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And God led the Ethiopian to this passage, right? This passage that we still use 2,000 years later. And for thousands of years, churches and synagogues around the world have used this passage to explicitly talk about Jesus, the Messiah. And this is what the eunuch says in response 
to the passage. And Philip is now sitting next to the eunuch in his uh, chariot. And verse 34 says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The good news was that Jesus was the one Isaiah was talking about, who was willing to take on the burden of our sins and suffer a death that we deserved on our behalf. So reading this passage from Isaiah requires an interpretive key, something that allows for it to be made clear because it was written hundreds of years before the subject of that passage came to be. Um, So the Old Testament has many mysteries buried in the text that are unlocked by connecting them to New Testament passages. This is one of those. Philip was in that place to share the gospel with the Ethiopian by unlocking the mystery of the Old Testament for him, revealing to him that Jesus is the key. Jesus is the interpretive key. He is the key to joy, fulfillment, and eternal life, not religion, not what the Ethiopian thought he was seeking. And then in verse 36, the story continues on. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So clearly, as Philip is explaining this passage to the eunuch, he doesn't just leave it at Jesus died and suffered like Isaiah 53 did. He goes on to tell the eunuch the entire story of Jesus and the redemption story and what good news that would be, not only for him, but for all people, that Jesus was ready to carry the burden of the world. Uh, and he is, he is the only one who is worthy to do that. Carry the burden of the world and die a death that was deserved by all and rise again to conquer sin, death, and the grave once and for all. And he explains, well then the next step for you would be to be baptized. And the passage goes on in verse 36 that Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I mean, Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Meaning that in spite of all the efforts of the Ethiopian, traveling all the way to Jerusalem, earnestly seeking the truth, acquiring a scroll, again, very challenging to do, worshiping at and around the temple, it was this simple belief that moved him from death to life, from marginalized to accepted, from seeking to satisfied. Jesus wanted him. And when we meet Jesus, we will never be the same. Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And because of that belief, 
he wanted to obey. So he gets baptized as quickly as he can, both as a symbol of his cleansing, his heart, and his life, and to identify with Jesus who lived the perfect life, died a death that we all deserve, and rose to new life. And he was ready to walk in newness of life. Baptism represented for the eunuch what he had already done in believing that Jesus was the Son of God who lived and died and rose for him. We have that opportunity to be baptized. Uh, very practically, we have an opportunity in two weeks to be baptized at our One Church One Day meeting at the Crossroads campus. And I would say, if you have not yet followed the Lord in baptism, I would encourage you to do that. It not only will be a marker in your life of your obedience in following Christ, but it is an encouragement to all your friends and family and church that has a chance to participate with you as well. So an important traveler like him, he would have had an entourage. We've already talked about that, and no doubt there's a lot of prying eyes looking and seeing at what's happening. This practice that was probably very uh, novel to the Ethiopian community, this baptism that was, being uh, that was happening. But not only this, his conversion— represents the fulfillment of Christ's command in Acts 1.8. So uh, obviously we know that God's desire is not only for the message of the gospel to transform our lives, but that we might go and tell others. And so we saw that last week in the woman at the well story. She goes and she tells the town. And in this particular story, we're starting to see that God used Philip, just like God wants to use us to bring others to Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, which would have been a very specific geographic place, the city of Jerusalem in southern Israel. Then into Judea, which would have been the surrounding region around Jerusalem. Then to Samaria, which is the region just north of Judea, an area that would have been known as uh, home to the outcasts, the marginalized, the unaccepted. There was a lot of racism. There was a lot of uh, prejudice wrapped up in Jews versus Samaritans based on what we talked about last week. We learned that. But then you have the, the Jews who want to go north all the way to the top. They go around Samaria and Jesus goes directly in. So the idea here is that not only are we in Jerusalem where we're comfortable and in Judea, the surrounding communities we're comfortable, we're willing to go to the places that are uncomfortable and on the outside, be, being proximate with people that are different than us. But then, in only the space of a few years, this Acts 1-8 command of Jesus is fulfilled through Philip. Philip just before he comes on the desert road to meet with the eunuch, is in, guess what? Samaria. The same place where the woman at the well was in John chapter 4. And evangelism is happening, and the gospel is being proclaimed, and the harvest is plentiful, and people are coming to faith in Christ. And Philip is in the middle of that, and then Philip 
goes down on the desert road to fulfill Jesus' command to the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And what is the uttermost part of the earth? To the Greek and to the Roman, at that time, it would have been Ethiopia. Here's the rest of the story. Verse 39. When they came up out of the water, this is after he was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You'll remember at the beginning of my message, I said that the book of Acts does have some things in it that are not directly applicable today. I would imagine that although that would be a very uh, cool way uh, to transport from one place to the other, I don't know that that is the same thing that the Spirit of God does today. But yet, he goes and he rejoices. So Philip is taken away. And I think it's important to note that the Ethiopian isn't discouraged that Philip is gone, but rather rejoices in his newfound salvation. And then in verse 40, our final verse for the day, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So he's just being obedient, Philip, right? He goes, he, he's taken directly from the Ethiopian uh, to Azotus to near Caesarea, and God desires to use him just as he desires to use us to bring people to Jesus. And then we see in Acts, Acts 21, <laughs> way later in the book, we see that Philip is still being obedient to the Lord in the same region 20 years later. Now, this is an amazing story. And the question that I have for you is this. What character resonates with you? What character resonates with you? Is it Philip faithfully following the Lord and serving him? Sensitive to the Spirit of God in his life? Or wishing that you were more sensitive to him? Because God still desires to use us to bring people to Jesus. The second is the Ethiopian. Now here's a person earnestly seeking God, needing a helper, a friend, a pastor, a small group to help take steps to discover life with God. Maybe you resonate with Philip or with the Ethiopian. Perhaps for the first time, you need to come to terms with the fact that Jesus is Lord. And like the Ethiopian said, I believe and when you do, you will have new life. We've already talked about it, but our opportunity for you to stake a claim in your belief in Jesus as Lord is to be baptized. So I encourage you to go to our website, register. It'll let one of our pastors know, and we will reach out to you. We would love for you to be baptized at one church one day. That third character, though, the Spirit of God. We cannot forget about the Spirit of God. Maybe you resonate with this because as we know, in this region in Samaria, just before this in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John are preaching the gospel, right? They're doing what God told them to do and then they're gone. Philip goes to the Ethiopian, shares the gospel, and then he's gone. Paul later is a missionary and church planter in basically the entire known world and then He's, he writes his book, books of the Bible, and then he's gone. But the, the common thread 
that weaves through the entire story is not Peter, John, Philip, or Paul, or any of the other characters in Scripture, or even you and I. It is rather the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. And the same Spirit of God that filled Peter, John, Philip, the eunuch, and Paul is the same Spirit of God that fills you and I today when we believe. Ephesians 2, and I want to finish with this. Ephesians 2.10 says this. And I believe this is true of every one of us who are children of God. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I believe that God still desires to use us, you and me, to draw people to Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Father, I am so encouraged by the stories that you have shared with us in Scripture. The ways in which you have compelled us to realize that you are still at work. That you are still using obedient people to draw people to yourself. That you are still answering the prayers of the earnestly seeking person. And that your spirit, who was alive and well in the book of Acts and in the early church, is still alive and well today. Father, I just pray that we would sense your work and respond well to what you have in front of us. We are your workmanship. Thank you. And I pray that we would continue in the works that you have in front of us. Through your spirit, would you give us the peace, comfort, ability, wisdom, and power to do what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.